If you would, take your Bibles this morning. We're going to turn open to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. This morning we're looking at verses 16 through 20. You'll remember we looked at this last week. Kind of more detail. This morning, a little more of a high view. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Let's pray before we open God's Word and hear from Him today. Our Father, we are in need of Your abiding presence this morning. We want to hear Your voice thunder from the heavens. The thunder in such a way that You speak to us and Oh, that still small voice with which you spoke to the prophet, we might know that you have thundered in our hearts and our minds today. Pray, Father, that you would preach a much better sermon than I have prepared, that it would be one that affects each of us where we are at as we have need. That your spirit would stir in this room and stir in our lives. Don't let us leave this place without hearing from you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is a holy, inerrant, sufficient word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, it's been three and a half years. This is it. I uh, got on the internet on our website last night uh, while I was finishing uh, this sermon and looking it up. And it's, I don't know, I tried to do the math and then stopped. I think this is the 107th or 108th sermon that we've done in this series. Uh, I started it back on May 13th, 2018. That's a day after my birthday, and it was a week uh, after I was installed uh, as your senior pastor. And I knew that when I was installed uh, here, I knew that what I wanted to do was to begin 
my time uh, pastoring as one who is preaching through a gospel. Uh, Matthew was the gospel that I chose. Uh, but I wanted to preach a gospel for this reason. As I have nothing to give to you, literally nothing, uh, but Christ. That's all I got. Got no tricks. I got nothing special. I just have Christ. That's all I got. It's the beginning of my ministry, the middle of my ministry, the end of my ministry. Uh, and the Gospels present the greatest and easiest way just to keep putting Christ before us every week. Uh, you have to be a poor preacher to miss Christ when you're preaching through the Gospels. The other reason is I wanted you as well and us together to see that really all that we have together is Christ. He's the beginning of our ministry together. He's the middle of our ministry together. He's the end of our ministry together. And it's really the only thing that you and I have to give one another and we have to give to the world outside of us. Christ. That's it. So it's appropriate that when we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew that what we're speaking about is giving Christ to the world as we come to the Great Commission. We looked last week at the Great Commission where Jesus begins the Great Commission by noting that He has all authority, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And with that authority, what He does is He commissions or gives this Great Commission to the church. And the Great Commission being this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. The command in the Great Commission is make disciples. That's the verb. Jesus sends His disciples out with this verb. Make disciples. That's the verb. You then have three participles that follow, going, baptizing, teaching. But the verb is make disciples. That's the emphasis. Make disciples. Of whom? Well, he says of the nations. Ta ethne is the Greek. We often, when we think of nations, we think of nation states. We think of a country. But that is not what ta ethne means. Ta ethne means people groups. That is, make disciples of people from every linguistic group, every cultural group, every ethnic group. That's the aim of Jesus' mission. Before He ascends to the right hand of the Father, when He sends His disciples out, He sends them out saying, make disciples. And you are to make disciples not just here. No, 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 no. You are to make disciples of every tongue tribe and nation to the very ends of the earth. Because you see, that's the vision. That there will be on that last day those that are gathered from every tongue, tribe, and nation before the throne of this King whose kingdom has come. 
That's the vision. And so the mission is you need to go and reach every tongue, tribe, and nation. And here's the kicker. The vision is going to be realized. That's happening. So that means the mission is going to be realized. It's going to happen. But He engages us in it. Make disciples. That's the imperative. The three participles then following going, that is, as we go. Why does one go? Paul says there in Romans, one goes because one is sent. And all are sent by our King. All are sent. Go. Baptizing, he says, second, that is, there is to be an identification with Christ with the family of God through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Every single one of these new members that joined our church this morning were baptized. They were baptized, and by that identification, they identified themselves not only with Christ, but they identified themselves with the church. The church is important. The institution matters. You can't miss the importance of that. Third, he says, teaching, teaching all that He Himself taught them. That is, Jesus is concerned with more than simply conversion. It's not just fire insurance He's offering. No, He wants people not only converted, but He wants them taught everything that He taught. That is, He wants disciples made that are converted, but disciples that are mature in Him, that have grown in Him that look more and more like Him, that live lives for Him. That's part of the Great Commission. That's what I want us to see this morning. First, high level, I want you to see that the church's mission is narrowly focused. The church's mission is narrowly focused. We are calling people to Christ. We are making disciples of Christ. He says, make disciples. Make disciples of what, Jesus? Make disciples of me. We're not calling people to a thing. We're not calling them to an event. We're not calling them to some ethic. We are calling them to a person. We are making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're drawing people to someone. Often, I ask the question, it is usually, I mean, this has happened oh, more times than I can count in ministry as a pastor. It's usually because somebody has something on their minds or something that they're a little agitated by, they're upset with, or something that's occupying them, and they will say, the question is something along these lines. They will say, why doesn't the church do this? Fill in the blank. Why doesn't the church do this? And the answer is because we can't do everything. There are a lot of good things that the church could do. And they would be good things to do them. But there is one thing the church must do. Make disciples. That's what we must do. Make disciples. 
I live, as you know, shared with you before, that vacation destination of Holt, Michigan. So it will surprise you, I'm sure, to hear that not all of Holt, for those of you that haven't been there, not all of Holt are palm trees and sandy beaches. There are parts of Holt that, uh, to put it nicely, could use some, some landscaping help. Uh, I feel like there are things that could just be done, a little pruning of trees, a little cleaning up bushes, a little bit of raking of leaves, and uh, this land flowing with milk and honey would look all the more beautiful uh, if there was just a little bit of that. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned that uh, it could look better. I'm concerned that we could do some things to make it look better. There's also another great gift about living in hold. It's not just all the beauty that is down there. Uh, we also have the Delhi Fire Ship Township Fire Station in, in Holt. And uh, these are good firefighters. Uh, I've met a couple of them, usually at the grocery store. Good men, good women. I'm thankful for them. I support them. I send in my tax dollars every single spring and fall to support them. Uh, they are working on my dime. You know, I'd be disappointed, though, if the firefighters of Delhi Township were out planting trees and were out trimming shrubs and were out planting flowers. I want them to be busy about their mission of putting out fires. That's what I want them to do. Because that is what the fire department does. That's what it's there for. That's its mission, is to put out fires. Now, an off-duty fireman, I'm all for him going and planting flowers around the neighborhoods in Holt and trimming bushes and cleaning up leaves. It's good service. That's good service. That's a good thing to do. In fact, a good fireman is a good community citizen. He's active in his community. That's part of what makes him a good fireman. And it could be that it is his druthers as a good citizen to go around and he's planting flowers along places that just don't look very good and old. That's wonderful. But I want the fire department as the fire department focused on putting out fires. Why? Because the Lions Club can't do it. I love the Holt Library. Those little librarians are friendly and nice, but none of them are coming over to put out my neighbor's fire when his house catches on fire. I love the daycare that's down the street. I watch these teachers come out with all of these little kids and they're running around. They look incredibly nice and lovely. When my house catches on fire, they're not coming to put out my house because they can't. The fire department is there. That's its mission. Nothing else and no one else can do what we can do. Make disciples. No one. That's the church's mission, is to make disciples. One of my favorite phrases in all of the scriptures there in Acts 17 where Paul and Silas have gone to the city of Thessalonica, and as they are in the city of Thessalonica, and 
We are told, quote, this, that they reasoned from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And after they proclaim this word and they proclaim who Christ is, we're told that a mob gathers and this mob gathers and it appears before the magistrate there in Thessalonica and they're screaming. They're screaming about Paul and Silas and how they had taken refuge in Jason's house and they've dragged Jason out with the rest of these disciples. And this is what they scream. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And how did they turn the world upside down? By proclaiming that Christ is King, the Word of God. They were making disciples shouldn't surprise us because when Christ, when He went from place to place in the Gospels, as we've seen, as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, His ministry centered upon proclamation. He is proclaiming the kingdom. He is calling people to repentance. He's calling them to faith. He's calling them to faith in what? In Himself. He's making disciples. But isn't Jesus doing some landscaping too? Well, yes, He is, and it's important, and it's right. He's healing people, and He's casting out demons. It, it is incredibly good, and it's incredibly important work. But He never goes to a single town with the intention of healing people and casting out demons. He does those things along the way. He always goes preaching. In fact, when people have seen him do a miracle or cast out a demon, he is often saying to them to be silent and don't tell people about what you've seen. Why? Because the preaching is priority. The preaching has primacy. He wants people to hear the word that has been spoken. He's making disciples. So, we preach the word. God works through His Word. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that is tied to the sacraments baptism here, which only pictures forth the Word that has been proclaimed. As an institution, as the church, we're to be unapologetically about the Word. All that we do centered upon the Word. All our ministries are aimed at proclaiming the Word. We, as University Reformed Church, are planting Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, which will become its own church in this new year. Why are we investing money and time and talents, and why have we sent people down there? So that there might be a church in Kalamazoo that we know is committed to the Word. And is proclaiming the Word. Why? So that the Word goes out and disciples are multiplied. Why is it that as we'll talk about in the next weeks and months, that we will begin another church plant in another part of the state here in the new year? It may even take another church under our wing to be a kind of daughter church and be doing those two works and investing time and talents and people in that. Because as the Word is established in a city and as the Word goes out, it multiplies the number of disciples. 
Why is it that we have a pastoral internship program here and we're seeking to raise up one or two men in our midst each year to do a pastoral internship before they go off to seminary? It's so that they can be saturated in the Word and then we're sending them off to seminary so they are even more grown in the Word so that then they will go and fill pulpits and it will multiply the Word being proclaimed. We're bringing in fellows. We have Leo here post-seminary and You'll be introduced in a few weeks to Matthew Shung, who will come and be a fellow here. And three Malawians who Confex is sending over from Malawi will be here in December. And they will all spend a couple of years with us. Why? Being steeped in the Word so that we can send them out to plant churches that are proclaiming the Word. Why? To make disciples. All of our ministries are saturated with the Word. We're seeking to raise up one to two missionaries in our midst every year to send out. Why? To assist in the proclamation of the Word. We've sent out three young ladies from our midst this year. And they're all assisting in church plans. Why? Because the Lord has chosen to work through His local church in the proclamation of the Word. That's how He makes disciples. All of our ministries saturated with the Word. Whether DIG or Christianity Explored or our women's ministry studies or our men's studies or our women's doctrine study or our growth groups or even Magnify that we bind ourselves together with other area churches or Spartan Christian Fellowship. They're all saturated with the Word. Because we're making disciples. We provide training classes for your growth in Christ, or connect and equip classes. Why? Because it's not just fire insurance. We want to see men and women and children growing in their discipleship, learning everything that Jesus taught. Why? Because we are making mature disciples. You know, there are always the questions of, well, why aren't you doing this or doing that? In the community, it seems like you could do this and you could do that and more people would know and you could minister to them that way or that way. And there's so many good things we could do. I agree. A lot of good things we could do. We just can't do them all. So we do what we must do. I often say, I think every church, local church, needs to have a couple of what I call conduits into the community. We're a university church, so it makes, sure, it makes sense that our two conduits are to the university. We have the conduit of ESL and Christian Explored, which provide what I think of these conduits as an easy on-ramp for people to come in contact with our church, and an easy on-ramp for our church to go out and serve in the community. So you got ESL, you got Christian Explored that reach out to international students on the campus. And then we have Spartan Christian Fellowship, the other conduit that goes out onto the campus to reach out to undergraduate students. An easy on-ramp for people to come in contact with Christians so that disciples can be made. And an easy on-ramp for disciples within the church to enter into the community so that they're impacting the community they live in. But we can't do everything. But what about everything else, Jason? That's a right question. I frankly love that question. I love when 
Christians come up to me and they ask this question in our church and say, I don't understand why we're not doing this in our community. I don't understand why it seems like our church isn't concerned about this in our community. All those landscape questions. I love it because it shows your heart's in the right place. You recognize that there is need out there. You recognize that things are not as they're supposed to be and your heart is literally breaking for different things that are happening in our culture, in our community, whether that's East Lansing or Lansing or the university. I'm going to begin here. Second, though the church's mission is narrow, the Christian's mission is broad. The Christian's mission is broad. And it's broad in two ways. You and I can't simply dismiss the Great Commission by deciding we haven't been sent. And so we simply just kind of write a check for those that have been sent. No, every single one of us is sent in one sense into the world. And we are sent to make disciples. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Every single one of us has been sent into the world. If you have been redeemed by Christ, if you have come to Christ, He then sends you out in Him. Every single one of us. That's the charge. The Christian life is a life that is lived on mission. As has been said, Christians are passive in faith, but active in love. That is, we receive Christ passively by faith, but once we have received that gift that has been given to us of Christ, we now having received Him, our souls are being supercharged with His love. And as our souls are supercharged with His love, there is a natural outpouring of that love to those around us. It's necessarily so. Receiving Christ's love has consequences for all my life. Every Christian in every part of the world, in every generation, has been, is, and shall be called to a life of service. And we all intuitively know this. If we know Christ, we know what we've received. You know it. Remember uh, that parable of the man that Jesus tells that finds the treasure in the field and then he goes and he sells everything that he has to go and buy that field. Remember reading that as, a, as an unbeliever before I came to faith in Christ, and I remember thinking it was the dumbest thing I'd ever read. Who sells everything that they have to get one thing? But you see, this side of Christ, that makes all the sense in the world to me. I know that treasure. I know that there's nothing more lovely. I know that there is nothing more beautiful. I know that it is the greatest gift I have ever received or ever could receive. And I treasure it beyond anything else. I have Christ. And if it is the greatest thing I can ever receive, then it's the greatest thing I can ever give. 
Christian knows this. As Christians, we care about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. We care about all sin, but especially the sin of unbelief. We care about all life, but especially eternal life. We are all individually to be making disciples. But it's also true that each of us has an even broader mission. It's instructive, I think, in Scripture that we are often called light. Christians are. That is, if you go into a room and the room is dark and somebody flips on a switch, you can't help but recognize light is shining. It's an impossibility not to recognize that there is now light. You can't ignore light. And so it's to be for the Christian. A Christian is never, ever a secret agent in this world. We're never incognito. We're never hiding. Where people wonder whether that man or that woman or that boy or that girl is a Christian. No, we're light in darkness. It is to shine from us. And the way that this community is impacted is by disciples. You are to serve as salt and light in this community. As you are going, Jesus is saying, as you are going, this world is to be turned upside down. An individual Christian, by God's grace and according to Christ's love, is to impact their neighbors, their community, their society, their world. I've seen this. I've seen this through many of you. Some of you are passionate about orphan care or the unborn or racial reconciliation, or homelessness, or refugees, or immigrants, or nutrition in low-income communities, or mentoring for children without fathers. Each one of these that I've just mentioned, I have somebody in mind in this congregation. You're passionate about it. And you're out there doing something about it. Why? Because you're a disciple of Christ and your light is shining. You're living in an intentional way to impact your neighbors. The church's mission is narrowly focused. The Christian's mission is broadly focused. The church as an institution is just a center upon making disciples. We proclaim Christ and proclaim Him crucified. We are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. That's my job, to equip you for the work of the ministry. Now you go out there and you do the work. And you have a very broad charge to be salt and light in this world. I think what often happens for us is that we have some sort of conviction that I don't like what I see here, 
I think this kind of suffering needs relief in our society, or it seems like there could be some truth to be brought to bear upon this sin issue in our culture. And what we often do is we will look at the church and we'll say, why aren't you doing something about it? And I think part of that is we do that because it frees us of the burden. Why isn't it doing something about it? And the Lord has called you to do something about it, me to do something about it. We function out there as salt and light. You don't want the church concerned about and focused about what you are most concerned about in our culture. Whatever's going on politically, whatever's going on societally, you really don't want the church weighing in in all that. You might think you do. I think we often think that way because we think the church will line up with where we're at. You, you don't want the church meddling with these things. often happens, I think, is church in one generation will start doing all of its ministry according to what's going on politically or culturally or societally. That's where it weighs in. That's what it begins to do. And it's just a generation before that church di disappears. It's just a generation before that denomination disappears. Why? Because they stopped equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. They stopped proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. They stopped building their people up in the maturity of Christ so that then they were going out into the world. We all can't do everything. The Lord has given us all different passions. We're all going to labor in different areas, but we are all to make disciples, all of us. And then we are all to shine our light where the Lord has placed us or where He has given us passion for. And if I can give you one warning, oh, please be careful judging your brothers and sisters in Christ that they're not passionate about the same realm in our society or culture that you are. We're to have a leavening effect. And this happens as the world comes into contact with Christ's truth through us. And this is when the church is at its best. It was disciples with changed lives who saw their influence lead to the changing of labor laws and women's rights being addressed and the slave trade ending and education offered to the masses and more. We have this throughout human history. It's an interesting fact that many of the opponents of Christianity today who like to hurl accusations against the Christian faith for whatever the issue of the day is, racism, sexism, intolerance, illiteracy, child abuse, the needs of the poor, the environment, all right concerns, maybe if they're rightly understood in the right place, they became concerns for our national consciousness because of Christianity. The platforms people stand upon as they hurl insults at the Christian faith have as their foundations firmly rooted in the cement of Christian ethics. If you don't have Christian theology and the Christian ethic, none of these things matter. 
It was Christianity that led to women's rights and literacy and the abolition of slavery and the civil rights movement and concern for the poor and the mentally ill and labor laws, and we could go on and on and on ad infinitum. All the result of Christian influence and the kingdom's effect upon the culture around it. The kingdom of heaven leavens all around it. It influences, it shapes, and it conforms. But it only does so. It only does so if disciples are being made. Are you making disciples? We want every disciple at URC to be disciple-making disciple. Because the Lord Jesus Christ wants every disciple to be a disciple-making disciple. Three quick encouragements. First, don't leave the Word of God at the door. There's so many of you, so thankful for you, that are involved in our community, whether that's Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan, the university campus, and you are doing so many good things, good landscaping projects that help make this world more beautiful. You are concerned about often the buzz phrase that goes about today's human flourishing. You're involved in it. Love it. Be involved. Don't forget the Word. Don't leave the Word at the door. There's so much good that comes by you bringing the Word to bear in whatever realm you are laboring in. And it's everlasting good. Would you bring the Word to bear? Which means you have to share it. Second, care for your neighbor and your community and your neighborhood and your city by making disciples. Our view just isn't big enough. People say, what? Why? Why isn't the church doing this? Or why is it you Christians are so concerned about sharing the gospel with people when there is this hurting and there is this pain and there is this fallenness and there is this brokenness and there is this sin that is palpable and you can feel it? And the answer is because by making disciples, you address all of it. All of it. You make disciples. It's the greatest act of love we can participate in. But as you're thinking about it, you have to know that as you are sharing the gospel with people, as you are making disciples, people will not always see it as an act of love. More often than not, they will count you as an enemy and they will count this as an act of hatred and intolerance that you would dare call them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would share that there is a King and that there is a Lord of glory that sits enthroned above and that they will stand before someday in judgment. But don't let them sow that lie in your head. It is the greatest possible act of love you can do is to share the good news of Christ with them. No matter what the world says. 
Christians are not against the world. We are more than anyone else for the world. Just not according to its standard. We're for it. In a way that no one else can be. So we get busy about making disciples. The best way you can love and care for your neighbor is not to budge from gospel truth, but keep telling. Finally, I'm going to leave you with the same charge I gave you last week. Because I want us to commit to it. I want you to say before the Lord, you're going you're to do this. What would it be like if every single one of us, all of us as members, all pledged, vowed to God, you know what, as I am able, Lord, I am going to try and share the gospel with at least one person a month. Make disciples. It's a very low bar, such a low bar. And yet my guess is that the vast majority of us, if we had kept a diary over the last month, we look back over that month, and I would guess that most of us haven't crossed over that bar. Just one person a month. As I told you last week, if you know Christ, you know enough to share Christ. One person a month. You can do that. Every single one of these people that stood up here this morning, every single one of them has everlasting life because somebody shared the gospel with them. Somebody. Somebody could be you. I used to have a pastor that, pastor I came to faith under, under his preaching. Remember him, he used to always talking about how one day when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll get to see our family tree. I think about that all the time. I, oh, Lord, I want to have a family tree where there are all kinds of spiritual sons and daughters that are descending from it. I want to be able to look and say, oh, I didn't even know that just showing up at that person's door like Jill Foley experienced and saying something felt like a rejection, that person came to saving faith, and now look at the tens of thousands that come from that line. Or my neighbor that I just shared the gospel with before they moved, one last time, and it seemed like they rejected, oh my goodness, I didn't know they came to saving faith, and now look at the hundreds that came to saving faith in that line. Just share it with one person a month. The second is that you would Seek to make disciples here. That you would find two people, identify two people in this congregation that you would disciple. You say, uh, I know my sinfulness, I know my weakness, I know how small my faith is. I don't feel like I should disciple anybody. I feel like everyone in here could disciple me. Just as you know enough to share Christ, if you know Christ, you know enough to disciple in Christ. There are at least two people 
that you can grab in this congregation and you can pour into. What would it be like if so all these people named up here and there were people in your life and someone is standing on a platform like this someday at some church, maybe this church, maybe another, and they say, ah, oh, it's Jesse Knapp that shared the faith with me. It was Joey Novus who shared the faith with me. It was Chris Gallo who shared the faith with me. It was Sarah Middlestead who spent time with me just walking through the Scriptures and helped me actually to grow in Christ. It was Penny Imason who just spent time praying for me and asking hard questions, and that's really when I began to mature in Christ. Say, well, I don't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. I've uh, done this over the years with dozens upon dozens upon dozens of men. Uh, I'll invite some man out for lunch, and we'll sit down, and I'll just ask about his family. I'll ask about his work, and then I'll ask about his spiritual life. I ask a follow-up question or two based upon his answer, and then I'll invite him for another lunch. We'll get together for another lunch. And maybe we start reading a book together. Maybe not. Maybe I just keep asking the questions and just keep interacting with what's going on in his life. And every once in a while, press in about something spiritual. Ask some deeper question just to get at the bottom of that. Just help him along. Just encourage him in Christ. How can I pray for you? After six or seven times, I usually will say to the man, I will say, have you ever thought about discipling somebody? I think you should. And of the dozens upon dozens upon dozens of men I've done this with, almost without fail, probably 90% plus of the time, the response is almost identical. No, because I wouldn't know what to do. My response is always, what do you think we've been doing for six weeks? You just do this. We're not seeking just to make disciples, to see people saved from the fires of hell. We're seeking to see them grow in Christ and maturity so they look more and more like their Savior before they arrive in glory and are like Him because they see Him as He is. We are to be making disciples. Every single one of us. That's a charge that's been given. But you see, it's not just this, huh, it's not just this weight that's been put on each of us. It is this glorious privilege where you and I get to participate. We get to participate in this thing that lasts for all of eternity. Where someone will stand on a platform someday and say, ah, oh, the Lord used Nick Menor and the Lord used Emily Zeiderveen and the Lord used Lucy Buchanan in my life everlastingly. What a privilege that is. And we'll get to rejoice in thanksgiving for that for all of eternity as they stand by us. Would you make disciples with me? Would you get busy about making disciples? Let's pray.
Father, we give you praise this morning that you are a God who is a redeeming God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just usher in the kingdom and bring all things to a close upon your ascension, but that you gave us the great privilege and responsibility of going out and making disciples for our everlasting joy and for your everlasting glory. Give us a heart for one another. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us a bigger view of you. And may we follow after you, our great Lord and Savior, as we seek to make disciples looking to you in faith. In Christ's holy name, amen.